0: Good morning. morning. Are you happy? Do you know it? Say amen. amen. Please pray with me. Our Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the opportunity, again, for your people to be gathered in this place. And as we come to this part of our worship experience to focus upon your word, we ask that you will indeed speak to us. And Lord, through this feeble instrument, I pray that my words will be lost and only your word will be heard. You are indeed our Jehovah Shammah. We ask for you to be present. You are our Jehovah Rapha, our healer, our Jehovah Sidkenu, our righteousness. You are our Jehovah Jireh. You are our provider. You are our peace, our Jehovah Shalom. Lord, we commit ourselves to you this day and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. E.M. Forster, a British writer says once that a spoon or spoon feeding in the long run teaches us nothing but the shape of the spoon. You are not used to being spoon fed. So I'm going to ask you to Take out your Bibles, and you will feed yourself today. Can you worship what you cannot clearly see? Just the thought of the question stretches us to try to do so. We describe the greatness of God in our praises and we give gratitude for the good things he has done, all the while knowing very much so that we are missing the mark. Whatever we can conceive of when we think of God in going is going to fall far short, woefully short, of who he really is, the biggest, The greatest, the most awesome being we can imagine is an insufficient image of who God really is. And so if our minds can come up with it, it simply won't measure up. And that's why I believe in Isaiah when he saw the Lord, he said, woe is me, for I am undone and I I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And then Ezekiel said, when he saw the Lord, he fell flat on his face. John, in Revelation, when he saw the glory of the Lord, he fell down as if he was a dead man. Perhaps that's why we are going, or are so prone to, people, or as humanity, to adultery or idolatry. We like to worship things we can see. Our adoration seems to beg for, give me the specifics. I've, in coming here this morning, stopped and uh, chatted with a few people to ask them a simple question, you know, because I believe that when you fall in love with a person, we usually adore their smile or how well they look or maybe their shape or their walk. And so I went and asked some people why they fall in love with certain people sitting in the congregation. Would you want me to tell you what they say? All right. here is why they told me not to call their names. But I did ask a few people, why is it that you fall in love with, what was the first thing that attracted you about the the person they married? Well, three of them said, that was so long ago. I can't remember. And so, so that I can protect those individuals, I won't call your name, so that you can go back home. But there were some other people that said, It was her beauty. When you hear the terms her beauty, of course, you recognize that this was a male's response because we are generally very visual. And I said, could you narrow that down a little bit for me when you say her beauty? What are you talking about? Are you talking about a whole physique or are you talking about a face? They said a face. All right, that's where it started. And I was curious and I asked quite a number of the other men on my trip from the auditorium here, we each auditorium to the sanctuary, and I got a similar response from most of the males, of beauty. There was one who was trying to spiritualize the problem for me, or the question for me, you know, in terms of talking about how godly she was. I said, How do you know she was godly? I said, Look across the congregation, who do you see here look godly? You know. But it was really the attractiveness, they said, of the individual. We wanted to be. They wanted the specifics. I did ask one of the ladies said, you know, it was how handsome he was. As a matter of fact, the older he's gotten, he's become even more handsome, you know. I would have told you who that is, but um, Sister Sylvia would cause me to get in trouble. Um, But we want to know the specifics, and that works for us when we're talking human to human. But what do you do when you talk about God? What do you do when you say you fall in love with God? What do you have to hang your thoughts on? Unlike one of the person I spoke with this morning, I said, but tell me, what else did you do? They said they wrote letters. I said, but before you can write a letter, what is it about this person that even qualified to to take your time to write a letter before you get to the writing letter stage? This person said, well, that's, that's a long time ago. And I didn't have much time because I was coming here. So I said, don't have the time. I got to move on. But they said, well, it's how they fit it in when they came to visit the family. And they just blended in so, so well. The family loved them. I said, but before they got the invitation, because I'm of the assumption and the belief that you don't invite everybody to come and visit your family after they ask you what's your name, you know. We wanted the specifics, and so the challenge for us is, what do we do when we say that we have fallen in love with God? The Bible tells us that his ways are mysterious, that they are not like ours, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Clouds of thick darkness surround him. That's why God sent us Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1:3 tells us, that the sun is the radiance, the outshining, the very effulgence of God's glory, the exact representation of his being or its nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. God is so thoughtful, so gracious to all of us. And so, though we, can, though we cannot completely comprehend God, we apprehend him as seen. In Jesus Christ. The question someone might ask is, what if God was one of us? I have good news for you. He was in Jesus Christ, and he is. I want to read with you, and that's where you need to take your spoon, from Psalm chapter 86, and I will be intentional and methodical and read the entire chapter, Psalm 96. And Psalm 96, just in case some people will accuse me of something, Psalm 96 is my introduction. Then I'm going to share with you briefly from Psalm 97. I get the impression that God likes to sing (laughs) and likes singing. Uh, The praise team led us this morning in singing and it says this, and the, the, they call it a bridge. I don't know anything but music, but I guess this is something you sing on the bridge. It says, I can sing in troubled times, sing when I win. I can sing when I lose my step. I can, and when I fall down again, I can sing because you pick me up. Sing because you're there. I can sing because you, you hear me, Lord, when I call you are, call you in prayer. I can sing with my last breath. Sing, for I know that I'll sing with the angels and the saints around the throne. Psalm 96 starts off by saying, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the lord glory and strength ascribe to the lord the glory of his name bring an offering and come into his courts worship the lord holy worship the lord in holy attire tremble before him all the earth say among the nations the lord reigns indeed the world is firmly established it will not be moved he will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and, that, and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Psalm 97, verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the people or the many islands be glad. Cloud and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. His lightning lit up the world. The earth soared and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, and the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people have seen his glory. Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves of idol. Worship him, all you gods. Zion heard this and was glad, and the daughters of Judah have rejoiced because of thy judgment, O Lord, for thou art the Lord most high. Over all the earth, thou art exalted far above all gods. Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserve the souls of his godly ones. He declares or delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown like seed for the righteous, and gladness for the upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 97 is where I want to focus your attention for a few moments. Psalm 97 is a very instructive or didactic in its intent. The author is tediously precise in the words he chose to employ as he speaks to the epiphany or the manifestation of Jesus Christ. And sometimes We have a custom of driving through an area, and sometimes we are not very observant of maybe what's taking place. It may be a path that we travel frequently, and so maybe a structure would have been built or erected, and maybe after a while we say, when did that come there? When did they change the color of that particular building? Because we were not very observant. We were in the routine of just driving by, going through our regular routine. Sometimes that's the way we approach when we read Scripture. We take a psalm a day to keep the doctor away, but we're not really reading to get in-depth and to find out what is being said by God and His Word. I think Psalm 96, 96 and 97 is one of those psalms that we can easily just drive by. Now when we say drive by, these days that creates a little... You tend to duck, you know, but... I don't want us to drive by this psalm this morning, and I want to focus intentionally and deliberately on the words chosen. So grab your spiritual spoons, and let's dig in. It says in these first three words, the Lord reigneth, the Lord reigneth. He has a very simple proposition, which is self-evident, it's a maxim, it's a truism, It's an axiom, it is true, and it requires no proof. The Lord reigneth, Jehovah reigneth. Jehovah is infinite and eternal, is possessed, and ultimately, and has ultimate power and unerring wisdom. He is the maker, and so he must, therefore, be the governor, if you please, of all things. His authority is absolute, and his government, therefore, is universal. In all places, and on all occasions, and in all times, Jehovah reigns. Isn't that good news? So despite what you hear from day to day, what you might experience from day to day, from moment to moment, it is comforting to know that Jehovah, our God, our Lord, reigns all the time. The Lord reigneth. Those of us, I stopped by the way in the auditorium. I did ask some other people in the auditorium on my way out who is the Governor General of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas? This was a congregation of male um, pretains around the table eating cookies and drinking juice. And I just asked, Can I ask a question, guys? They nod in approval. And I said, Who's the Governor General? There were about five of them around the table. Who's the governor general of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas? One looked at number three. Number three looked at number one. And then there's one brave soul who says, "Out of folks." I smile loudly. The other ones, and I still proceeded to ask because I want to get a response from the others. He said, "I don't know." And the other person said it without words, sign language, was that. And so I got it. But I thought, shouldn't those who are governed know the governor? The governed should know their governor. Don't you agree? Now, if I had ask some of the adults, um, who's the governor general of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas, some I might have been surprised, because some time ago, remember, on a, one of our local television stations, some people went to these reporters, went and asked, the, went to a particular school in one case, and school had just been dismissed, and they were asked the students who were in junior high, senior high students, who is the minister of education? And we heard everything from hibiscus. <laughs> well, well, we heard a variety of wrong answers, let's put it mildly. You know, and of course we'd say, why did they put that on TV? You know, they shouldn't do that. Other people are listening and watching. Some people just don't know. The Lord reigneth. Who is this Lord? I believe this psalm is talking about Jesus Christ. The Lord reigneth. If we understand who Jesus Christ is... Those terms I refer to when it says the Lord win it. This is the infinite one, the eternal one with all power, all wisdom. He is the maker of everything and his power and wisdom is absolute. And he calls you his children. Isn't that good news? And yet some of you still worry. What is it that makes you, instead of creating a sense of happiness and contentment, well, some people say, I don't feel good. And I like to ask, is this uh, spiritual or is this chemical? Because sometimes it's maybe because of what you ate that caused you not to feel good. Why is it that you are depressed? Is it because of some chemical imbalance? Or have you thought about this person who we call our God, the one who reigns? He is still sovereign. He still reigns. Jehovah reigns. When I pause and think about that, all of the other mundane things of life tends to just dissipate. Because I understand that he is still in control. Listen to the next phrase. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of the isles be glad. The earth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of the isles be glad. The earth with his terraqueous globe, especially, let me say, the isles here in the Bahamas, 700 islands, the vast continents over every part of which God's dominion extends. All this government springs from his holiness, his righteousness, and his kindliness or benignity, and is exercised in what we call providence. Providence of God. Pro, pro meanings for or before and Vidence is really from video meaning to see. Like Cicero says, providence is that which anything future is seen before it takes place, end of quote. All of that that is general are composed of the particular specifics, and by the specific providence of God, the general providence is formed. In other words, the small things... We, get, we talk about the big things sometimes, but the big thing is really made up of the small things. And so God is concerned about you, the specific, the one individual. And God understands your makeup. God notices the fall of a sparrow. That's some For most of us, that's insignificant unless you are a bird watcher. But God is concerned about that. But God, don't you have more important things to be concerned about? Watch the sparrow, he tells me. He's aware of that notes it, and he bottles the tears of those that mourn. So God is concerned about everything that caused you and I to come to tears. Why in the midst of all of the big problems in the world that we know are usually resolved and solved in the barbershop and beauty salons? Because you hear the answers or solutions to all of the society's problems. But God is not also concerned about the hair on your head. But those who Craig knows um, may not apply. But God is concerned about the little things. So when we say God is concerned about all of us, sometimes we don't understand. That's just general. But he's concerned about everything that is happening to you. If he's concerned about how much hair you have on your head, God, don't you have something more, isn't there something more important? But that's to tell you how specific God is. There's nothing that misses or escapes his eyes. Now, as God is infinite and wise and good and governs the world in wisdom and goodness, the earth may well rejoice and the multitude of the isles be glad. Again, the Lord reigneth, let the earth rejoice. Because God reigns, that is the cause and the source of your joy. Why you can truly rejoice. Listen to the next phrase it says, this is in verse two of chapter ninety-seven. It says, clouds and darkness are around about him. Why? I believe because God is infinite, he acts <clears throat> excuse me. He acts from his own inscrutable counsel, and therefore the reasons of his government cannot be comprehended by are mere feeble, limited powers of man. There must, therefore, be some cloud of darkness and some impenetrable obscurity around about him, and we can no more comprehend him any more than we can comprehend the eternity of the past before time began. I sometimes wonder about that, but I quickly jerk myself back into reality. Otherwise you will visit me at the Pink Porch out east in Fox Hill. Because how do you really truly comprehend, how can this finite being comprehend, totally comprehend what is infinite? What was it like before time? We who are creatures of time, what was it like before time began? Let's assume time began in Genesis chapter 1 when it says, in the beginning, God. And let's say, time began. Now, before the beginning began, God was. And what was it like before that, before God says, in the beginning, God? Could you try to visualize what that is like? It, it's, if I smell smoke, somebody's mind is being blown. All right. But that's just time there. But if you go beyond that, you say, well, what about eternity future? Do you comprehend that we use these terms and we come up with terms in the human experience and language as the means to communicate to express ourselves but really we have no clue what does eternity mean infinity we be smile and say forever and ever what is forever and ever well you know forever and ever I, what does that mean i don't want to talk to you you don't understand it you know. It is difficult to comprehend. It is against this backdrop that the psalmist very enthusiastically says, righteousness and judgment are the habitations of his throne. You just can't find the right words. But he starts off from this positive that Jehovah, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice in the multitudes of the isles, including the island 700 islands of the Bahamas. We should rejoice, because righteousness and judgment are the habitations of his throne. Righteousness, of course, is the principle that acts according to justice and equity um, and ever holds all things in an even balance. Judgment, the principle that discerns, orders, and directs, and determines everything according to truth and justice. These form the habitations of his throne. We say, wow, what did you just say? Righteousness and judgment are the habitations of his throne. That is, his government and management of the world are according to these things I've just mentioned. Truth, justice, there's always order, there's equity. And though we cannot see the springs, the secret council that when we have the divine tribunal gathers, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, though we do not know that, and the secret times in which his omniscient and his Omnipotence, the Father um, causes and acts in these things. Though we don't have access to those things, we do know that he reigns. And he does so wisely. Because he is holy. He is good. And he is kind. In this most sublime description, the psalmist choose to personify and to therefore give vitality and thought to the subjects that he chose to employ. Here, the throne of God is animated, he says, righteousness and judgments are two intellectual beings who support the throne. The fire and the lightnings, the earth, the heavens themselves are all spoken of as if they can respond. They have emotion. They are intellectual beings which either accompany or go before or proclaim His Majesty. Well, if the earth proclaims His Majesty, what do you think about us who have been made in His image? What about us who have been redeemed by the precious blood? of Jesus Christ. Should we remain silent? And I think the praise name spoke and sang and shared, ministered this morning about that. The joy is ours, singularly ours. It says also in verse 3 that a fire goeth before him. Visualize this very poetic um, description of the psalmist. A fire goeth before him. Literally this and the following verse may be referred to as, let's call it the electric fluid or the manifestation of the divine displeasure by which he measures out his ethereal force. And in other words, God consumes his enemies. I don't want to be God's enemy, do you? But fire is generally represented as a, an accompaniment of the appearance of the Supreme Being. He appears at Mount Sinai, in the midst of the fire, thunder and lightning. Paul tells us in Second Thessalonians that the Lord shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And Peter tells us that when the Lord shall come the to judgment, to, to judgment, the heavens and the earth shall be destroyed by fire. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat, and the earth and all its work be burned up. The fire goeth before him. Our Lord Jehovah reigns. It says that this fire burneth up his enemies round about. The fire is his holy pioneer, which destroys all the hindrance in his way and makes his path plain unobtrusive. Again, I don't want to be his enemy when he comes. Do you? I think those persons who are seated here today, here's another opportunity. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, here is an excellent opportunity. You know, I prefer to be behind his coming with him in train, as opposed to before him when he comes in judgment. It says, his lightning lightest in verse 4, enlightens the world. This is a majestic, I believe, description of the coming of the Lord to confound his enemies and to help or to assist or to succor his followers, those who are his children. The earth soar. The earth soar. Now, whether you take that literally to say this, the physical earth soar, or whether it talks about the inhabitants of the earth soar and tremble. The earth is represented as a sentient or emotional being. It saw the terrible majesty of God and trembled in terror. Fearing it should be destroyed on the account of the wickedness of its inhabitants. Isn't that amazing? Just the thought of it. That the earth recognized His majesty. Its coming majesty and all power. And the earth itself trembled. And those of us who are on the earth who do not know God, we are standing up there arrogantly pointing our bony finger in the face of an all-consuming God. It says, wow, the audacity that we have as human and the capacity to rebel. The earth soar and tremble. The hills melt like wax. Imagine that. The hills melt like wax before him. I take it literally, visual-minded. Imagine this scene moving. Well, we don't have no hills except any hills. Ochre Hill, yeah. (laughs) Maybe. You know, any other hills we get. You know, but imagine places or lands where there are these mountains and hills, and just the presence of God, these tend to almost liquefy. You say, wow, that's that's some um, power. Wow. Wow. But that's the one who we have the privilege of calling Father. Or when you see him, he will be your judge. I prefer him to be our mediator when he comes. So you have a choice to make. The hills melt like wax. This, as I said before, is the fire of God that seized on and liquefied them so that they are no longer opposed his forward march, his coming. And the mountains become plain, flat. Wow. That's because he reigns. The Lord of the whole earth reigns. He is the universal sovereign. The heavens declare, even the heavens declares his righteousness. They also in this poetic description became intelligent beings and proclaimed the majesty and mercy of the most high. Metaphorically speaking, they may be said to declare his glory their magnitude, number, revelation, their order and influence, and the harmony proclaimed a wondrous skill, matchless wisdom, and unlimited power of the sovereign of the universe. That's our God. Our God reigns. And all the people. Talk about the earth, we talk about the heaven, but it says, and all the people see his glory. And so listen to that. I, I think back about another reference in Scripture That every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wouldn't you want to do that before that time? All the people see his glory. Excuse me. Whatsoever God has made proclaims his eternal power and Godhead. And who, from thinking about this awesome and contemplating this awesome majesty, And his work, and the work of his hand, how and who will dare to be ignorant enough to oppose him? Verse 7 says, Confounded be all they, King James language. They shall be confounded that boast themselves in idols. Oh, I have my God. You have your God. You know, your God, my God. Confounded. Confounded really means to move like a madman. You ever saw a madman or a woman? To be, you know, no prejudice. To move like a madman, to be confounded, referring to violent gestures practiced particularly for those who are adulterous in rituals and worshipers. Those who take a mad and painful pleasure in ridiculous and unprofitable ceremonies of religion, those who ultimately reject the true God. When you see him coming, in all of his power, and all of his glory, you will be confounded. You will act, you will look like you're mad because of the contortions and the screaming and how you move. But that don't have to be your plight. Because if he is your... God, your Lord, you know he reigns. The next verse tells you, worship him. Worship him, the next part of verse 7. Who will dare to dispute his authority? Who will dare to dispute his sovereignty over all things, including your own life? And even when we use that term that God is sovereign, I think sometimes we take it for granted We say, yeah, we give lip service to that, or mental assent to the fact that he is sovereign. But the way we govern and live our lives from day to day, God is placed on the back burner. The things we do, the things we say, God is not privy to, or at least is not consulted. That's unfortunate, and it is inconsistent with what you say. Verse 8 says, Zion heard and was glad. All of the lands of Israel, of course, long desolated, heard of the judgment which God had shown among the enemies of his people. And the daughters of Judah, we can call them maybe the villages of the land. Zion is the mother, and all of the villages, as her daughters, rejoice in the deliverance of God's people. And again, it talks again about the power of God, but to make sure that those who belong to him will be secure. Because in verse 9 it says, For thou art high, thou art infinitely exalted above men and angels. Ye, verse 10 says, Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. Because it is inconsistent to love God, or to say that you love him, and then to live, contribute to that. So, you are to love the Lord, you are to hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. Their souls' lives are precious in his sight. He preserves them, keeps them by his power and influence from every evil and from every enemy. And so when you go through the valley, and it is going through, whatever it is, wherever you are, this too shall pass. And I am comforted, by the words of John that says that he will never leave you, isn't that good, or forsake you. I know at times he might appear to be silent. He doesn't tell us everything that he's doing. I was talking in my Sunday school class. He doesn't send you necessarily an email, or he doesn't hit you up on Facebook. But he still is sovereign. Our God still reigns and the small matters, as well as in the big matters of life. Light and gladness are sown. Every grace of God is a seed which he intends should produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 1,000-fold in the hearts of his genuine believers. We do not so much require more grace from God as maybe to cultivation of the grace that he's already given to us. But we always, it's easy to ask, God, Lord, give me more grace. And the grace that we have already received, we have not used it. Maybe we should use what we have first, that he's been so extravagantly generous towards us with. And then verse 12. Rejoice. I wish you knew how to rejoice, or do you? Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous. It is your privilege to rejoice. It is your privilege to truly be happy in the Lord. Exult in him through whom you have received the atonement. Rejoice, but let it be to the Lord. All other joy is the myth of the fool. It is a luminous blaze for a moment and leaves nothing but smoke and ashes behind. And so when you think of the fact in the opening of this psalm that our Lord reigns, when you really think about it, at the remembrance of his holiness, because he said, Be ye holy, for I am holy, and in holiness alone you can find true happiness. True happiness. I believe that beneath every objection, every unhappiness, well, let me say this first. Let's deal with the rejection. There are those you will have encountered already, and I'm sure, and I'm hoping up to this point there are no one seated here, and there might be present who have rejected God, because I again extend to you an invitation on behalf of the one who is your Redeemer to place faith in Jesus Christ alone for the redemption of your sins and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is my desire, so that you, when you see him, coming as he is promised to come, you will, that will be a cause for rejoicing, as opposed to those who will be not only ashamed, but will be condemned. But beneath the source of all of those who reject this one who reigns is the fact that they do not, it's a matter of authority. They do not want anybody to tell them how they should live their lives. You have heard, human to human, People say this use that phrase often. This is my life. I will live it as I please. This is my life. It's interesting when people throw out these phrases and maybe I pay too much attention to it. But the question is, well, that's yours, where you got that from? You know, is that your life? Where did you get your life from? And they usually have to refer to somebody else, and you can keep going, but ultimately we know that your very life is a gift from God. And so what he asks me is not asking something that is extraneous. He just asks, I want to share, he wants to share his life with us. And we worship him because when we see what we see, I mentioned three persons earlier, um, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and John, just, just a little glimpse because that's all we can take. It's like you having a 110 volt appliance and then I don't think we have any B.E.C. representative here, who might sometimes send this power surge, you know, through your appliance, and then it's just certainly obliterated, it malfunctions. Well, imagine God showing you, that's why there's no one has seen God in all of his glory, when God is turned on all at 100%, and you say, God, let me see you. You talk about knocking your socks off. You get toast. You know, Because that's like a 110 volt appliance and then you're sending a million volts through that. Suddenly that appliance is no more good. And so God sometimes just gives us just a little glimpse and we have this word picture here describing what that is like. I think we should not, based on the awesomeness of who this God is, who reigns, put up any defense, any opposition to who he is. People who refuse to bend the knee now, as I said earlier, one day, every knee, regardless to your arthritis, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I know some people think it's appalling to do so. Bow? I don't bow to no one, no man, nothing. But one day, according to Scripture, and I believe that, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Our God reigns. He's called many names throughout Scripture. Brother Gary Lowe, glad you're here with us. And Genesis, he is called Shiloh. In Exodus, he is the I Am. In Numbers, he is the star and the scepter. Sister Denise, he is the rock in Deuteronomy. Uh, Sister Joy, in Joshua, he is called the captain of the Lord's host. Uh, Brother Jerry, seated up front here. Job said that he is our redeemer. Uh, Sister Pamela, Sam says that he is David's Lord and Shepherd. Sister Sally, Songs of Solomon says he is the beloved. Oh, I love to talk about him. In Isaiah, Sister Ingrid, he says he is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Uh, Sister Demi was up here earlier. Daniel called him the fourth man. Micah, Brother Mac, says that he is the one who's going forth is from everlasting to everlasting. Oh, bless your heart. As Haggai says, Hilarina, that he is the desire of all nations. Sister Zena, he says that he is, in Zechariah, that he is the branch. And then in Malachi, Megan, this is what it says, that he is the messenger of the covenant. My brother Monty, in Matthew, he says that he is savior. And Mark, Sister Madge, says that he is the son of man. Lisa, he says that he is, in Luke, that he is the great physician. And in John, Jody says that he is the word that was made flesh. Our brother, Anthon, Acts tells us that he is the name above all names. And in Thessalonians, he says he's declared... He is the one who will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. And Hannah, Hebrew, tells us that he is the great high priest, touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Sister Jennifer, Jude tells this dude here that told me that all be able, he was able to keep you from falling and to present you forthless before the presence of his glory with unspeakable delight. And then comes down to John in Revelation. Jared, this is what it says, that I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and saw the Lord high and lifted up. He is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And I would like to introduce you to him. He is the one who reigns. The Lord reigns. Bless his name. Thank you.